Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. And I'm very, very excited to talk with Daniel Levin, da Daniel Barman Levin, um, uh, about his incredible memoir uh, called Slonem Woods Nine, which I just listened on Audible too, and uh, whoever read it, I was disappointed at first that you hadn't read it, but then whoever did it did great voices of all the different characters. So I think, you know, anyone who likes listening to books, that it will be uh, incredible. Um, and of course, you're, you are a poet, and I have to, you know, tell my listeners who may not know my backstory, but I was a poetry major at Queens College in 1974. And when I was sucked into the Moonies as a sign of my obedience, I threw out all of my poetry because I was ordered to. So man, as I'm, I'm listening to your poetic prose of your memoir, it's just getting my neurons <laughs> bouncing going, you miss that voice, that creative voice, because so much of what I've been doing, Dan, has been nonfiction and heavy stuff like psychology and all that. Um, I just want to say a few more things. You hold an MFA from the University of California, Irvine. You're a winner of all kinds of prizes and fellowships and incredible uh, accolades, and you deserve them. You're currently living in Los Angeles. Uh, I believe you'll be teaching uh, a, a course uh, affiliated with Stanford uh, University about turning your stories into uh, memoirs that can also help educate people about cults and mind control. And before we start, I'll just add one more thing that I was asked to look at a Hulu series on Larry Ray cult of Sarah Lawrence fame. And in fact, uh, he was convicted of trafficking. Uh, and uh, so there's there'll be a lot more information out about this horrible cult. And I looked at the video first, which I, I, the documentary first, which had a lot of intense real videos of abuse. And it, it was remarkable. And I have to be honest, as, a, as an empathetic person, as a therapist, it was so hard to watch at times because I wanted to get up and punch him in the face <laughs> you know, or, or, or call the SWAT team, like, help these people. Uh, but of course, I knew you were out already and you know the, 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 the nightmare was over. But nevertheless, it was just, it was hard to watch, but it's going to be a very powerful case study, I think, for anyone who wants to understand uh, how mind control and my bite model of authoritarian control is used. So forgive me for being long-winded, Dan, but your book was amazing. And I really think anyone who's ever been in a mind control group or relationship will be able to listen to your book or read it and uh, and identify with so many key things. And with that, I will invite you to please uh, share what you would like to um, with our listeners. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your kind words about the book. Um, yeah, I think what I hoped to achieve with that book was to walk people through the experience of being compelled by a powerful personality um, and to make the experience, to make myself relatable uh, and legible. I wanted people who have trouble imagining themselves in the experience of someone being drawn into a cult, surviving through and inside a cult, um, people who find it difficult to imagine themselves in that position to see how um, not that distant it is from your day, normal day-to-day -day experience, um, how it's not as if a switch flips and someone just suddenly becomes a cult victim, that in fact, throughout it, you're a quote-unquote normal human being attempting to survive the same way that people are attempting to survive all kinds of situations. And we bring to bear our coping mechanisms for normalization, 
for you know all kinds of um, tools that we use to get through uh, a trauma. Right. So I don't want to assume my listeners know about the Lawrence Ray, Sarah Lawrence cult. Mm -hmm. So could you please set the table for my listeners? What are we talking about? What year was it? What, 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 walk us through uh, the beginnings of this nightmare. Yeah, so um, I went to Sarah Lawrence College in 2009. Uh, I uh, moved into a dorm in my sophomore year with a bunch of my friends. Uh, One of the people who lived in that dorm, more of kind of a house, uh, was Talia Ray, just dating one of my closest friends. Um, and she told us one day that her dad, who'd, uh, who we had been hearing about for a long time from her, uh, you know, he was supposedly uh, an ex-Marine. He was a, sort of a hero. He had done all these amazing things. He had worked for various intelligence agencies. And he had been sort of at the center of this conspiracy. This is all according to his daughter, Talia. Uh, He had been put in prison unjustly uh, and he was getting out and uh, they had been separated for all these years. Would we mind if he just stayed over in our dorm for a little while while he sort of got his feet back under him? Uh, All the rest of us, you know, 19 years old at Sarah Lawrence College uh, were not going to say no. Um, and uh, honestly, I can say for myself, it was not, it didn't really care that much, um, if I'm just being honest. Uh, mm-hmm. And so this guy, Lawrence Ray, Talia's dad, showed up. Um, and I think it's probably fair to say that with this type of personality, this, uh, you know, what would later become clear to me was uh, a narcissist, a megalomaniac, all of these things, once they get their foot in the door, uh, it's pretty hard to get them out. So once he was there, he he didn't leave. He sort of took over uh, the whole environment, the, the social group. He slowly started to suck my friends in one by one by offering his help, his, you know, quote unquote, his help, his support, his kind of version of therapy. He was buying everyone food. He was love bombing. He, you know, he was doing all of the things. Um, where this evolved to is uh, he got access to an apartment in Manhattan uh, that summer. I moved into that apartment where all of my friends were uh, living. Um, I, I can go into more depth. Of, yeah, so uh, let, me just, let me just mm-hmm. add, if I may. So yeah. You're in a you're in a like a, a, a living arrangement at school with eight mm-hmm. students. You're funky. Mm-hmm. You're 19. You know mm-hmm. people are having sex with each other and smoking a doobie here or there, and it's very normal. You know kid stuff, and you're all figuring out your identities. And here comes mm-hmm. this older male, you know, uh, person who claimed to have these profound, deep insights into human nature, and he could fix everybody. He was Mm -hmm. very braggadocio. He claimed to uh, know Gorbachev, and he was the best man of Bernie Carrick, who was a real person who was pardoned by Trump, I might add, um, Mm -hmm. uh, a real person. Um, But there was this uh, imbalance of power immediately by his age, uh, but because he was the father of one of your dorm mates, so the 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 alarm bells weren't normally ringing. Whereas if mm-hmm. somebody met you on the street and said, "Let me move in with you," you would have been like, "Get lost." Yeah, Is that right? and it just that turned right? out that the that's right. The way that he operated was by leveraging credibility, right? So he leveraged the credibility of his daughter, who we had no reason not to trust. Uh, in order to get in the door. Uh, And that's how he had operated for decades and decades. So when he, this is part of what was so disorienting and made it very difficult to form an understanding of what was going on. One of many things was that when he said that he had a relationship with Gorbachev or he had a relationship with George H.W. Bush or these things, you know, I would doubt that. And then later he would show me a photo of himself with Gorbachev, this sort of thing. So he had managed to to 
worm his way into rooms that um, other people wouldn't find themselves in. And then to kind of manipulate the story around why he was there, what he was doing with this or that person to, to create an entirely different narrative later on. And he was, he was proposing himself as this great uh, counselor who could help resolve unresolved childhood trauma or identity issues. And Mm -hmm. you just needed to accept that his certainty uh, would be more uh, 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 weighted than your own Mm -hmm. conscience or your own critical faculties. And yeah. he used a lot of mind control techniques. I could go through my bite model and we could watch the documentary, go through your book and literally, oh, here he's controlling information by deceiving. Here he's compartmentalizing information by telling one person one thing and another thing to someone else. Or he's gathering information on another potential victim by eliciting it. And needless to say, he was having sex with co-eds, correct? Mm -hmm. And later, because he's going to jail, he was trafficking one woman to the tune of a million dollars, is my understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's right. Which was horrifying. Yeah, things escalated right beyond. uh, Once we moved into that apartment in Manhattan, I had sort of resisted his, uh, his orbit. Uh, at Sarah Lawrence. Um, but I agreed to sit down for a conversation with him. Um, and I think that anyone, well, I, I don't, I would be curious for sort of your take on the initial conversation with a cult leader. Um, but I think I experienced what seems to me a pretty classic model of the kind of a lot of love bombing, a lot of telling me how special I was how capable I was, even kind of comparing me to my friends um, and uh, sort of doing some cold reading, seeming to have some deep insight into my background, my my experiences. And we sat in a Starbucks talking for, I I think the reality is probably around uh, somewhere between six and nine hours. I really don't know how long that conversation was. Um, but we closed out the Starbucks. I sort of didn't feel the time passing. We talked about, you know, my mom being sick my whole life, about my insecurities, about my body, about sex and sexuality, you know, relationships, about the relationship I was in at the time, which I think was part of, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, what created a vulnerability for me because I was uh, in this difficult situation at the end of my first serious relationship. Um, and, uh, and then when we finally walked out of that Starbucks and he really had full control over what happened and when, and we walked down the street and around the corner and, uh, there was a limousine waiting there and the door opened and all of my friends were sitting inside And it became clear, I sort of only realized this later, that they had been sitting, waiting in this idling limousine the entire six or so hours. And Mm. I knew this because later I would experience a lot of sitting and waiting in cars for hours, Mm -hmm. not sure how to, what to do while waiting for Larry Ray. Um, So he really had full control from... Yeah, and you know when you're when you're a cult leader, you want to have total obedience, and part of it is you know rewarding good behaviors when when the people lift you up and do what they tell what you tell them to do, and punishing them verbally, emotionally, and even physically. The amount of physical abuse that later took place was just horrifying to me. Uh, to, for my listeners to to watch and to hear about and such. Mm-hmm. But um, you got away. You went away to college in England even. And I was like, mm-hmm. yes, he got away. And then it was then, oh, I have I feel guilty. I haven't contacted Larry. What am I what am I gonna say? What excuse can I use? And it reminded me a bit of my my Mooney, early Mooney experience, because I got away from the first workshop, got home, but I was so confused mm-hmm. and wondering, 
you know, is this my path? <laughs> Should I go back? But in other words, the ideas were implanted at that point. And he was giving, like a fisherman gives a fish line and then reels, reels it back in. That was, right. um, so you reached out and he got you back in again. But you, you left. I mean, you got out before mm -hmm. a lot of your friends did. So yeah. help my listeners understand some of the things that contributed to your realization. This is not your path. This is not where you sure. want to be. Yeah. So I think that what the experience you're describing in England of, of me kind of getting all of this space and yet still feeling uh, a bit trapped or this kind of pull back towards my abuser, um, it speaks to the central uh, challenge that I was going through the whole time, which was just not trusting my own feelings about what was going on. And I had been pretty trained to understand any feeling I had of discomfort as um, something was wrong with me, you know, with, with my mind, my attitude, I needed to sort of get with the program. Everyone else seemed to be doing great. You know, they seemed to really be learning from all of these things. So something must've been wrong with me. And why did I feel both this kind of relief being thousands of miles away in England, but also this deep dread and panic. And so it, it, I, instead of seeing that as because of the trauma, I saw it as clearly something is still wrong. And do I want to live the rest of my life this way? Um, when I got back from England, you know, after connecting with Larry and he was suddenly being so much warmer and kind of gracious and it just felt like I couldn't get away. Once I was back in that apartment, he really turned up the intensity um, mm -hmm. on the abuse in a way that in retrospect felt like he was testing the boundaries of what he could get away with um mm -hmm. it seems like um sure. and i was kind of an early test subject for that i mean everyone else was also experiencing various forms of abu abuse but um as i think is fairly typical there was a kind of hierarchy and there always needed to be someone on the bottom who was sort of the right. scapegoat and that would rotate and it created mm -hmm. this power dynamic where you were just desperate not to be the person being abused, you would do anything, including turn in your friends for something you didn't even believe happened, just so right. that you could not be the person getting hurt. Um, and so uh, the abuse that he enacted on me became more and more uh, extreme. Um, you know, there was, uh, he was torturing me in front of my friends. The any amount of the kind of shining a light on me had gone away. So I, there wasn't the positive side that kind of makes mm -hmm. you feel like, oh, I understand why I'm here. Mm -hmm. um, and it just was so horrible that at a certain point, I mean, the, I reached a point where I considered killing myself. And I think that that felt like this line where um, part of the Larry Ray cult that we haven't talked mm -hmm. about was his insistence that all of us were suicidal and that that's what he was protecting us from. Um, that if we left him, we would kill ourselves with sort of impulsively. And I found that I felt as if I didn't want to live because of him. And as I sort of faced that decision, it, it no longer became about intellectually figuring out is Larry a good guy or a bad guy? Is what he's doing actually helping me or hurting me? Like trying to answer all of these questions. And instead I just was like, this feels terrible. I just feel that I need to leave. And it, it yeah. became about having feelings. And Larry mm. was all about logic. Mm. I just sort of let myself feel this and went with it and left. And then mm -hmm. once I was away, I just kept feeling that feeling. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. here we are. So let me let me just say for uh, our, our listeners and for those who will eventually watch the Hulu series, hopefully, 
uh, he really was a gaslighter extreme. So if I may just share that he would tell you that you broke his expensive pots, but you don't remember having heard his pots, but he has convinced you there's a part of you that you're not in touch with that is doing all this malevolent stuff. So in other words, he got inside your head and co-opted your reality testing mechanisms that every healthy person needs to be, you know, no, I didn't, I'm not a person who takes people's pots and scratches them on purpose. Mm -hmm. Like just, I don't, mm -hmm. I know myself, I would never do it. And if I did do it, I would apologize and I would make it mm -hmm. right. But you had no memory of doing it. And yet he was just hammering you over mm -hmm. and over again. And part of what, what mind controllers do, if I may say, is they want to co-opt co your doubts. Uh, and mm -hmm. what comes to mind at the moment is a very famous Rajneesh line, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh later, you know, after he died was called Osho, a uh, uh, horrible cult leader, sex fanatic also, I might add, and drug, drug user. But he said something, I'm gonna try to do his voice if I may, I'm not Indian, so forgive me if I butcher okay. it, but something like, if you have a doubt, it is because I put it in your minds so that you could leave and then realize that you must come back and submit yourself to me. <laughs> I'm I'm right. sorry I butchered it. No, no, but, that's fine. But, so you but right, trick, your doubt. Yeah, the mm -hmm. trick is it's not your doubts anymore, it's his doubts. He did it mm -hmm. to you to teach you a lesson, mm -hmm. and the lesson is come back and surrender your right. will and your mind and your heart. Right. And so just to be so I can uh yeah, explain sort of the the function of control that you're talking about with the mm -hmm supposed uh, breaking of things. Yes. Yeah, so the way that Larry operated at a certain point, um, I, I think that what he did first was kind of sever uh, our relationship with our long-term memory, right? So uh, it seems maybe a little bit easier to foment doubts about what might have happened in your early childhood and sort of places mm -hmm. where memory is very blurry. Mm -hmm. And ju this just introduces the idea that it's possible for you to not know what happened to you, right? Mm -hmm. And then you add on top of that, that at a certain point, because we're living in his apartment, he cultivates this feeling that we owe him, right? That he's taking care of us and doing all these nice things and he's making or buying all our meals and we're living there for free. And so we start sort of doing work for him, right? Um, and then at a certain point, you're sleeping on average two to, if you're lucky, four hours a night, maybe, right? So you're already pretty Oh, fuzzy. I was a three to four hour a nighter as a Mooney, so yeah. I can totally relate to that one. There you go. You're yeah, not so thinking very... clearly when you're on that little sleep. No one is. No, not at all. And it does, it does make you very open to a kind of dependence, right? If someone's taking care of you in all of these ways and you're just exhausted, and the, they can just, the biggest reward they can give you is sleep at a certain point. Mm. Just the, all you want is relief, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you take all of those circumstances and you ask someone, you know, you, you point to a scratch on a supposedly $1,000 pan and mm. you say, someone did this. And this other person said that you did it. And I know that you did it. And this entire power structure is based on the idea that Larry, who's saying I did it, is correct about everything. So to question this one moment is to question everything. There's right. so much pressure and it's so much easier to just say, you know, maybe I did. And then you're seeing everyone else also admit to things like this, right? Yep. Um, so you think that maybe memory doesn't work the way that you think it does. And maybe we are sort of missing things, or maybe we 
do have a desire to sabotage him because he's helping us, which is what he said. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the thing is, is that there's no way you or anyone could win in a power struggle with someone who is a malignant narcissist who knows about mind control techniques and hypnosis, et cetera. The only choice is to exit. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm an expert and I'm telling you that I know my limits. I mean, I, humility is a very important thing to, go, to have when you're going in life because your mind can get hacked and it can get hacked mm -hmm. by very sophisticated people through the internet and other ways. And that's why you really wanna have friends and family that you trust who you can reality test with. And why mm -hmm. I did this TEDx talk, Dan, about how can mm -hmm. I know if I'm brainwashed? Step one is get away from the envi environment right. and the person. Like turn off your phone, stop doing the practices, just like mm -hmm. sleep, eat, dance, listen to music, walk in the woods, <laughs> write poetry, totally. and then learn about mind control paradigms. What helped me in the mm -hmm. uh, get out of the Moonies was the Chinese communist paradigm that Robert J. Lifton mm -hmm. wrote about in his mm -hmm. 1961 book. But then seek out critics and ex-members and critics of cults are people like us who are former members who mm -hmm. have we've, we have our our graduate degree in mind control because we survived it and we've mm -hmm. you know done our homework and processed it and are able to mm -hmm. articulate like how did this happen we're intelligent educated people from good families mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and go back in time once you have that knowledge once you have the the critical information and by the way i always almost always when families call me for help I almost always recommend hiring a private investigator to do a profile mm. on the suspected predator because they're typically mm. serial predators and they have a criminal past and we can find former victims and find out their mm. MOs, right? Mm. But the point is, is once you have that information, then you go back to your first meeting and say, if I knew then what I know now, would I have ever mm. gotten involved? And if the answer is no, then it's time to leave. Like that's the yeah. that's the easy formula that I've come up with now. It's only forty seven years of helping people get out of cults, but they mm -hmm. you really can reduce you know some of the critical elements. Um, but I, I'll just add what's so hard nowadays is the smartphone is a mind control device, and mind controllers mm -hmm. can text you, know your location, put malware on it. So this, mm. this, this whole smartphone social media thing needs to be um, mm. you know, really understood as a great tool for good things, but also a horrible tool for enslaving large amounts of people. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I would say on the side of the potential positive of social media and these things is if it works as a tool to make these experiences more visible, um, which is what I'm hoping to be a part of, um, that's you are. Incredibly... You've written a great book, and and you. your book led to this Hulu docu series. So mm -hmm. there's no. I mean, really, I'm I'm saluting you. <laughs> Thank, you Thank you for your courage yeah. and for speaking up. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean, part of where I was at when I to be, I think it's important to know that when I started writing the book, none of my friends were out of the uh, cults, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when I say I wanted to make myself more legible or my experience more relatable, I really had a narrow audience, which was this group of people who I hadn't been able to talk to for years. But while we were in the experience, I couldn't look to my friend and say, like, is this seem weird to you? Or did you actually do that thing that you said you did, right? So there was a desire to just make this account and maybe they would read it and maybe they would, maybe the whole time they had been privately wondering these things and just to see one person say it might sort of crack something open. Um, of course, 
then in the process while I was writing the book, the uh, an FBI investigation started um, as a result of the reporting uh, that happened in the very beginning. Um, I'm kind of was going that out the New York order. Magazine piece? Or? Yes. So there was a New York Magazine article that came out that I, I was a part of that reporting. Uh, then I wrote this book, um, and then the investigation. Yeah, you're a whistleblower, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess Seriously, so. yeah. you know, welcome. Um, welcome thank you. To, yeah. uh, to, to the tribe of people yeah, who well, have survived and come out yeah. the other end sane and healthier. Yeah. As a, well, and I want to say there's a dramatic difference for me between there was the period of time when I left and I wasn't talking about what had happened. Right. Yeah, yeah. I told my parents, you know, I told my girlfriend, I was talking about it in therapy, but not in a way that I think was really producing results. Um, and from there to being more public about it, having a sort of embracing uh what had happened a little bit more fully sure. um it's made an enormous difference for my mental health and for my feeling of being here being present and not yep. so there was a sort of gulf between me and other people as long as i lived with this as a secret yeah um, and it's scary to cross that gulf but so incredibly worthwhile it's very therapeutic to write your story i know jared mm -hmm. bullion and uh uh karen presley uh former scientology was teaching a course for ex-members to write their story it's a mm -hmm. version of narrative therapy where you're mm -hmm. to say putting on paper because then you have perspective on the younger mm -hmm. you and you mm -hmm. can try to you know put things in chronological order and things that didn't make sense that were kind of bubbling around or swirling around start to you know make more sense and such mm -hmm. um so i definitely want to encourage i want to mention i got out and i got out.org mm -hmm. and we're we're really wanting to destigmatize for the millions of people who are still in the cult of trump plug for my book, but also mm -hmm. it is what it is. The people who believe in QAnon and think that every person who oppose, opposes the GOP is a, a, a trafficker of little kids and killing mm -hmm. babies or whatever crazy stuff. We want to normalize and say, look, we were there. It's not you. You are subjected to a systematic social influence program that co-opted your critical abilities, that disconnected your own common sense, that alienated you from family and friends and from, mm -hmm. from, from sources of how to determine what's true versus mm -hmm. just believing blindly because someone has certainty saying, I know that you scratched that pan. You know, you have to get in touch with the part of you that did it because that part's mm -hmm. gonna kill you, Daniel. And what you wanna right. do is put your third finger up and, and you know, take the pan and hit him in the head, really. That's what right. I felt like doing multiple yeah. times. Ugh. And I'm so glad yeah. he's going to jail as a trafficker. Just so glad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's... Uh, we're talking right now uh, about two weeks away from a little less than two weeks away from his sentencing. Um, so mm -hmm. we'll see what comes of that, but he is looking at a 15 year minimum. Um, but yeah, I, I, what you said, one of the things I'm so interested in and challenged by, and one of the things that I learned from this experience, I suppose, is just how tenuous our grasp on what is real and what is true is. <laughs> um, and I think that a lot of people, you know, because that's so destabilizing to embrace that idea um, that I think it really scares people. And that's part of what creates this gap between, you know, the folks who are watching like true crime and all these things, these cult documentaries, yep. and they say, I would never, you know, I would never do that. I would never fall for that. I would have said I, that if it hadn't happened to me, Dan. <laughs> yeah, me like, too. What's wrong with those people? They're stupid. They're weak. They're, mm -hmm. you know, they have no smarts. I was an extra honor student. I know you were too. 
Totally. It's like, you know, so the, but the thing is, is we're human beings and mm -hmm. we don't know it all. And anyone who says they know it all, you should like have warning bells. And the right. burden of proof is on them to prove it, not on us to disprove it. You know, mm -hmm. somebody says that they have the secret to reality. How come you haven't written books and published academic journal articles? Mm -hmm. You know, don't show me a photoshopped picture of you and Gorbachev and tell me that you mm -hmm. saved the world from the Soviet Union. My former cult leader claimed he ended the Soviet Union personally. Mm -hmm. Sun Myung Moon, mm -hmm. I bet you didn't know that. <laughs> but the members believe it. Nobody else does. Right. But then when you right. think about Trump, Pompeo, Pence, Esper speaking for the Moonies after January mm -hmm. 6th, saying how great it is, and the mm -hmm. Washington Times, their newspaper, saying it was Antifa attacking the Capitol, you go, what mm -hmm. the hell's going on here? Like, who's, yeah. who, the, who cares about democracy and civil rights and human rights and rule of mm -hmm. law and, you know, things like that? But yeah, um, I think, yeah, go ahead, it please. Seems like, oh, just so, one of the challenges that I found in getting out of a situation like this is that, of course, from the outside, you look at all of these things and it feels like rationally none of it makes sense. But it is incredible once you're within that kind of warped zone, yeah. um, how so much can be rationalized. Like, just based on a false premise, you can come to all kinds of wild conclusions. Um, so it becomes really hard to know how to, you know, I, you have experience talking to, you know, people who are being deprogrammed in a way that I don't, but I, I imagine it's got to be nearly impossible to try to reason someone's way out of something like this. I just don't know how you get to a place. For me, it was trying to finally kind of just trust myself, my gut kind mm -hmm. of, and just that I felt like I bad and a survival instinct just said like, get away. Yeah. Um, but it was the trying to rat reason my way through it. I just wanted an answer, you know, is yeah. this right or wrong? And I couldn't answer that question. Right. So what I learned, and it really was important for me to learn about the, the military intelligence uh, research of the Chinese communists of the 50s, mm -hmm. um, because Lifton wrote out eight criteria that you can know environment is brainwashing. And in my deprogramming mm -hmm. with the ex-Moonies, we went through all eight. And the Moonies did all eight. But that was confusing because we were God and the communists were Satan. But we're doing the same brainwashing techniques. That, that, didn't, that was a big stepping stone to my exiting but. What the real, the, the, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back in my brain, and I was a leader, like, so I was like a fanatic. I would have, mm -hmm. he would have said, take this assault rifle and go to Times Square on New Year's Eve and shoot as many people as you can. I wouldn't have doubted it. I would have just mm -hmm. done it. That's what horrifies me. In any case, the thing that, that, that woke me up was what something you just talked about, which is, Everything that I believed was based on one presupposition, that Moon mm. was the greatest man in human history, that he was doing God's will on earth, that he knew better what needed to happen than anyone else, and that if I just blindly followed, everything would be fine. And once I realized Moon was a liar, and the way I realized that was they handed me one of his speeches published by the cult to congressmen and senators and said, what do you think, Steve? They didn't tell me Moon is a liar. They said, read this and tell me what you think. And I read it and he was lying to congressmen and senators. And I knew because I had heard him personally a hundred times say how stupid Americans were and how the Koreans mm -hmm. were the master race. And that doubt, that first thought, oh, he's a liar. As soon as I got that to consciousness, I went, well, wait a minute. If he's a liar, that means he's not trustworthy. If he's a liar, that means he can't be a you know God's agent because the Moonies teach that God is a God of truth. As soon as I, I could un undercut that one thing, the whole thing was like a house of cards going plop, 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 plop. And then I'm like, what the hell have I been doing for the last two and a half years? Oh my God. Mm -hmm. And I felt horrible. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's part of I, so I, I I did have kind of a similar experience, uh, just in that part of what was happening with Larry. So to kind of close the loop on, you know, he'd accuse us of scratching things, breaking things, and then would say, you know, he'd, he'd convince you you did it, or he'd pressure you to admit you did it, or he'd torture you until you just said you did it so that it would stop. And then he would let you know that this thing was worth thousands of dollars and you, how are you going to pay him back? Right. And then you get deeper and deeper in the hole. Well, he was, he was eliciting he, guilt, shame and right. guilt oh, manipulation. Absolutely. Right, go ahead, keep going. And then later on, he was um, doing sort of domain name scamming. I don't really need to go. He was just buying up domain names, making these sort of scam websites. And we were working on that. And so when, growing up, my dad, his business was just designing websites for mm. businesses. Uh -huh. And so I just have some knowledge of how that right. works. And I was watching, It's it feels so silly now, but I was just watching this guy make these terrible websites, the kind of website you land on when you like misspell Google or something. <laughs> and he was claiming they were like the greatest websites and we were going to make all this amazing stuff. And I just knew he was wrong. Right. And this is such a small thing, but there was this discord where I, that felt strange. And I just, I knew it. I knew he was yeah. wrong, but I had to just kind of go along with it. And then uh, if we're talking about straws that broke the camel's back, for me, one of them was this moment when he was physically abusing me, he had a he had tied a, a, essentially a rope around my testicles and was uh, tightening it. And this was in front of my friends. He was trying to get me to admit to some offense. And I I think that there was a moment of disassociation. I remember a kind of out of body experience. Um, Pain my memory will do that. of it is. Yes, absolutely. I, I remember kind of, when I think back on this, I see it from above, you know, out of my body. Yeah. Um, I remember not feeling the pain, you know, and that being mm. confusing. Um, yeah. Because both because he claimed to be incredibly good at torture, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, why doesn't this hurt? Uh, that's confusing. It feels like I'm yeah, you were dissociated. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I right. work with trafficking victims, and they report that regularly. And mm -hmm. uh, you were not in your real identity; you were in your cult identity. Totally, that's another way of saying it. That makes sense. And so, what it, it still interests me in retrospect, I from that sort of removed place, it felt as if I was thinking very clearly, and what I thought was. If he's right, and he, as he claims, always knows what we're thinking, what is true, and what is false, then a, a really easy way to just test this is if I just really convincingly make something up. Because this whole time, he's been yeah. putting the onus on me to prove that I did or didn't do something he's claiming. So I just thought, I'll make up a story about my childhood that I know for sure isn't true. And so I did. I told this whole story that, you know, the reason that I had sabotaged him was because of this thing that had happened in childhood where I found a baby bird in the driveway and I had, you know, wanted to take care of it, but instead, you know, kind of impulsively, because that was the whole thing that he said, you know, we do things impulsively without our control. I, I crushed this baby bird. And this is, you know, storytelling is kind of my trade. I Mm -hmm. it, it worked, right? Um, and he went along with it and was so proud of me for having this revelation. And, you know, this, you know, I had arrived at this deep buried memory and look at, you know, what he had done to draw it out. And so I thought, you know, there's only two options here, which is either he doesn't know that this isn't true, which would mean that he doesn't know all the things he claimed, or he's participating in this performance because it props up his power, which would also mean that he's a liar. So it mm -hmm. kind of, that really helps me understand, you know, if you just try out uh, telling a lie on purpose to this person, because at that point I'm going to get hurt either way. So it kind of doesn't matter. Um, it, I do that really all the time, actually, with clients mm -hmm. who are in these guru cults where the leaders claims to be God, they know everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I meet some representative and I play along and I, and I make up a whole past, 
you know, completely mm. different than my own, but tell it very believably. And they're like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yep, gotcha. And then the yeah. other thing is I have worked with some people who were claiming that their the guru was raping them in their bed, even though they had left the cult decades earlier. Mm. And, and were so afraid that because they were programmed to think they had spiritual powers and would come and harm them, then mm. I, I would sometimes just go, okay, Sai Baba, F you. If, you, if you're hearing me now, toast me. Like right now, you got the mm. next two minutes. Otherwise, everyone's going to know you ain't nothing. This is just mm. BS phobia indoctrination. And, and people are like, no, 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 don't do that. And I'm like, trust mm. me, I'm not worried. <laughs> but it, 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 these types of you know, reality testing techniques, and they're mm -hmm. always more powerful if, if the person thinks of it themselves, as you demonstrated mm. you did. So kudos to you. So Thank I wanted you. to come circle back. I remember in your book, you talked about your father at one point saying, I think you're in a cult. Like talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that episode, how Larry reacted and, and, and the effect mm -hmm. on you. Yeah, so very early on, um, you know, I was, I had been pulled into this group. I, you know, of course, from within just saw it as a group of friends who were kind of doing something special. Mm -hmm. um, and Larry was so great. And I I quickly picked up uh, in a way that almost felt social the way you learn, you know, kind of how to be cool. It's yep. like the thing to say here is to talk about how great Larry is because everyone's just talking about how great Larry is. Sure. Um, and it also began to be clear that if you weren't really outwardly projecting your support of Larry, then you were working against him. And I really didn't want to be working against him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when my parents called me, and I, I had already felt at that point the pressure from Larry to kind of separate from family that he, he yep. was talking and getting me to talk about how my parents had, you know, uh, messed with my head in childhood and all these things. It was just the beginning of this. Right. And I was surprised that he had encouraged me to, you know, he's like, pick up the phone, right? You know, he like wanted these conversations to happen. And I talked to my dad and was making sure to really be talking about, you know, Larry's so great. He's helping all of us. He's been, you know, here's how he's been helping my friend Claudia and talking through, she had these kind of issues and he's really helped, just really trying to prove it so that my parents would leave me alone. Yeah, he was you doing know, damage wanted, control using you to do. Right, you know, yeah. right, exactly. And just to, right, to keep everyone <laughs> unconcerned, right? Right. But my dad, you know, because it sounded like I was inculcated and was just sort of towing a party line, said, you know, Dan, it sounds uh, like you're in a cult. And he said it almost half jokingly, at least that's how I heard it. Hmm. And I immediately, these alarm bells went off in my head. It was like, if Larry knows that my dad said this, that I heard it, you know, then he's going to punish me. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a logical explanation for that. I just was like, I know this is bad. Yeah. Um, and so I ended the conversation and tried to keep this under wraps. And then shortly after, I think uh, whether or not Larry could see that I, you know, was stressed or he was just arbitrarily, you know, interrogating someone because that's what he always did. Right. Um, I became the subject of a hot seat interrogation in front of my friends. Yeah. And then ended up revealing that my dad had called this a cult. And that became a conversation about, you know, uh, brainwashing. And Larry was pretty explicit um, where he said, you know, I don't know why people, why brainwashing gets such a bad rap, you know, because that's what I'm doing. Like all of you have dirty brains, like your brains are messed up and you're all twisted and they need washing. You know, I'm putting Moon your brain through the car wash. exactly the same thing when he was accused wow. of brainwashing. He's like, you're, you Americans have dirty brains. You should thank me. Mm -hmm. I do heavenly brainwashing. And we were like, yes, <laughs> father, brainwash us. Yo, right. yes, father. It's so pathetically stereotypical, but you 
and another parallel. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I think that this is one of the things we take for granted, I think, being on the other side of this, how foreign the concept of brainwashing uh, seems to a lot of people. And I yeah. think it's a part of the importance of this work is a little bit making that comprehensible. I think people imagine like zombies or something, yeah. right? Or like, you know, you have swirling hypnotized eyes. And, you know, I just want I want people to be able to understand what it's like to be your regular self and yet to be experiencing all these different pressures and to to in order to protect yourself you buy in right or you you something happens i think people experience it to different degrees um but yeah people yeah, think it, that you have to have robes or a shaved head i had a three piece suit I lectured mm -hmm. on Fifth Avenue opposite the uh, public library to recruit people. And mm -hmm. I was an effective recruiter because I was a true believer. I really believed mm -hmm. that we were gonna save the world because the world was so messed up and there was no obvious solution to the mess we were in. And what would be a better story than God would send the perfect man and we would have peace on earth and the climate change would get better and everything else. Of course, that was 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. And look at us, look at us now. So you also yeah. said in your book towards the end that you went to a therapist, a counselor, and she didn't, mm -hmm. she didn't know what you were talking about. And that's what I've mm -hmm. heard for decades over and over. People are like, I went to a therapist. They had no, they thought I was crazy. Or, you know, I had to spend all my sessions explaining to them what, what a cult mm -hmm. is, and I'm so frustrated because people, therapists should know by now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually did an online course now on my website um, so that there's no excuse anymore for therapists to say, I don't know anything about working with cult members. People can say, take this course, it's nine hours. If you wanna work with me and be ethical about it, learn the mm -hmm. basics. Yeah, I think that's great and so, so important um, because it's scary enough if you, as in my experience, you exit what is essentially a therapy cult and then you're facing the idea of going to therapy and it's really terrifying. Yep. Uh, the environment itself is triggering, right? Yep. And then in my experience, I went to a therapist, you know, I was still young. I didn't even know how like health insurance worked, all these things. It was so overwhelming. And yet, mm. you know, I had talked a little bit to the person I was dating about some of the physical violence. Yeah. She, you know, I was starting to think of it as a cult. Mm -hmm. I had looked at Lifton's criteria as well and found mm -hmm. it really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went to this therapist to did this sort of uh, the Q and A kind of mm. or whatever the, the yeah. packet. And um, in my first conversation with her, you know, I decided what I need to do is tell her everything so that she has the the basics of what I went through, and then we can sort of move forward. And I started to try to tell her, and had what I would later come to understand as you know a full trauma response. It was my throat closing up, my whole body shaking, and you know it's like sweating yeah. and just feeling like I was going to cry and so hard to talk. But as I started to push through telling her some of these things, you know, I was watching her face and seeing her jaw literally drop and this look of horror, yeah. you know, and she just couldn't. She, you know, to be fair, initially, I think she was trying to see if she needed to report this. She was asking if anyone was under 18, that kind of thing, which mm -hmm. all is fine, um, but seemed mostly just incredulous and was trying to understand, you know, why didn't right. I leave earlier? All of these things that were pretty Yeah, which makes questions. people feel guilty, you know, like mm -hmm. I should have left earlier, according to this person. I do want to just really? say, you know... The number one long-term problem of former mind control victims is trust. Mm -hmm. How do mm -hmm. I trust anybody else and how do I trust myself? Yeah. And, and to okay. understand that happened to the younger you, you were doing the best you could with the information and experiences you had at the time. But mm -hmm. if you do your homework and you understand what to look out for, what questions to ask, how to reality test, um, mm -hmm you learn that people need to demonstrate trustworthiness for you to trust them. 
and that <laughs> licensed therapists are going to be much more trustworthy than some coach or somebody who has a hypnosis certificate from a one-week workshop online. Mm -hmm. Like, don't go to those people. Please go to a trained ethical therapist. And now there are a bunch of us who are former members mm -hmm. who become mental health professionals. And we not understand from the inside, not exactly your experience, but man, we're, we're going to empower you to reclaim your mind, your body, yeah, which is and, great. and you know, and go to a positive future. Because, mm -hmm. and I would say a universal with people coming out of mind control cults also is that your program never to say bad things against the leader or the group. Yeah. So when you're trying to tell your story, there's a part of your programming that's kicking off going, don't tell anybody, what if Larry finds out or, what if father finds out, you know, or, you know, there are all these ancestors in the spirit world looking at me right now, and I'm going to go on TV and criticize Moon as a cult leader. Like, are they going to be angry at me for eternity? Because that's what I was told. They would hate me for eternity if I spoke out against the group. But I had to force myself to be grounded of, no, Chinese communist brainwashing is bad. This is what they were doing. I know who I am. I have a loving family. I'm a smart person. I've done my homework. And here's the truth. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, I yeah. think for me, you know, I, I reached a point where I felt as if I was willing to die <laughs> rather than be there. Um, and so, you know, you get, there's a kind of power in saying, well, you know, if I was willing to to die, then I kind of can do anything. And so why don't I just leave? Because actually the worst thing isn't if I say bad things about Larry and then he shows up around the corner and mm. hurts me. The worst thing is if he brings me back. Like that's, mm. I just don't want to go back. Mm. Um, and I would say also just to the point about sort of um, the value of a professional therapist or, or psychiatrist, mm -hmm. whatever is, I just didn't know about boundaries. Like I wasn't mm. raised with the idea of boundaries. Mm. Um, and I think that one of the huge values of a professional situation is that there are built-in boundaries. You know, and yep. Larry was someone who basically said, I'll be your therapist. And I found the idea of therapy scary. So he didn't say that explicitly, but that was the right. role he was filling. And also right. come live in my apartment. Just don't right. live in your therapist's apartment, you know? <laughs> it's so funny today, I belong to a forensic think tank, Dan, at Harvard Medical School. Mm -hmm. And my mentor and the co-founder of it, Thomas Gutau, was literally teaching about boundaries uh, to, mm -hmm. for, for psychiatrists and psychologists. You know, you shouldn't even hug. You shouldn't take a gift. You shouldn't, mm -hmm. you know, meet for lunch. You know, you need to have context and understand mm -hmm. that there are uh, boards that will hold you accountable if you violate any of these boundaries. So it makes it not that that licensed therapists can't abuse them, but ultimately they can be held accountable, lose their license, and be shamed. Um, but at least you're, you know what the boundaries are. And I will plug, I did a blog and an interview on therapy abuse, psychologist mm. abuse, coaches abuse on my website with a therapist, with a list of checklists. I'm going to invite you and others okay. uh, who are listening this, to check this off. <laughs> because in the future, you want to know what are the healthy boundaries and what to avoid. Yeah. It's Absolutely. Great. I, yeah. I find it to be an unbelievably useful way of thinking about relationships and a way to establish trust, you know, yeah. you can work within that framework. So Daniel Barvin Levin, author of mm -hmm. Slonem Woods 9. And I think at the end of the book, you said that the the name came from, mm -hmm. tell us the, the that story that you... Well, part of what I was trying to get at in the end of the book is that Larry preyed on how small our world can feel sometimes. And, you know, mm. anytime there's a coincidence, you know, you bring in a little magical thinking and right. it's because of him or he, you know, the interconnections. Right. 
And we were, the dorm where I met Larry Ray was, uh, it was in a set of buildings called Slonum or Slonum Woods. It was number nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so Slonum Woods nine. And um, it was sort of an odd name that I never questioned. And then in the process of writing this book, I had a family member who was trying to sort out family history. I had a, a, a huge amount of my family died in the Holocaust. Mm. Uh, but we came from Belarus and she had narrowed it down to more or less this region where there is a town called Slonum. So it's just this odd coincidence where, you know, my family experienced, uh, most likely experienced some kind of subjugation in Slonum. And then here I am generations later in Slonum meeting this kind of fascist like leader who I yeah. And you know, I'm Jewish too, and that Mm -hmm. I was educated about the Holocaust, and yet I was programmed to believe that the Jews needed to die in the Holocaust because they didn't accept Jesus. And people Mm, are like, you were Jewish, you went to Yad Vashem, how could you believe that crap? I said, because I was sleeping three to four hours a night, and my behavior was controlled, my information, my thoughts and emotions. And they redid my identity in the image of Sun Young Moon. So the real Stephen didn't have access and power to express what I knew was wrong until I got out. Mm. <laughs> I was like, ah, how dare you do this to me? You know, and when I see all the anti Semitism rising up, neo Nazis protesting in the street and such. I just realized, you know, we need to do this work and educate people. And, and for, you know, you can get people out of the Nazis. They are a cult. It's not, mm-hmm. it's, they're, 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 they're not mystical and they're not magical. And honestly, they're programmed. And uh, the mm-hmm. good news is people wake up. So, Daniel, thank you so much. You're going to get the last words to our listeners. Anything else that oh, you want wow. to add? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing that I want to say is that the the experience that I depict in my book um, is just trying to relay the experience of going from not believing myself and trusting someone else more than me to believing myself. Mm. And so I hope that um, anyone who has gone through an experience like this uh, feels not alone because they're not. Um, yes. And also anyone who is maybe actively going through it is able more and more to feel like they can trust what they're feeling. Perfect. That's so great. And share your story if you're ready to. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you and, and if you left the, the relationship or the group years ago, put it in a closet and never dealt with it, good time to bring it out because you're not alone. Yes. And it might help yes. uh, America and the planet understand what's happening all over because we're in a information warfare where people are being indoctrinated into these mindsets. Mm-hmm. So thank you. I hope to meet you in person one day. And thank you I for so uh, the Hulu series is, is going to be a case study for future generations of therapists, I predict, if mm-hmm. I have anything to do with it, I know. Uh, another former member who was a Columbia Medical School graduate on her way to become a psychiatrist, Felicia Rosario, very much wants to use her, her experience with the Lawrence Ray cult to educate uh, others. And um, so uh, the, the, the Hulu series, check it out as well as pick up Slonem Woods 9, Daniel Barman Levin. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control 
Freedom of Mind and The Cult of Trump in that order. These books are a culmination of 45 plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at IGOTOUT.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.